You're listening to English Weather, a podcast about emotional and mental health. How's your relationship with your mom? Oh, my mother and I are like, we're, she's like my best friend. That's good. Yeah, I, had, I always have someone in my, you know, I've always had someone in my corner and that would always be her. So if there was something that you'd want to say to your mom or dad, like for, like what would something you want to say to your parent, mom or dad? I think for me, what I want to say to my dad is just like, why were you never proud of me? No. Why was I never enough? That's to my dad. I think for my mom, I would say, but she's still alive. My mom and I get along. We get mm-hmm. along. I would say to her, I felt like I could have used just a little more support. She was supportive, but um, love, but more just in a tender way. It sounds so weird saying it. Yeah, I know. I understand. I mean, that's it's not weird. It's your parent. I know. It's just maybe that's why a lot of the dating difficulties that I have, I try and circle back like how with my relationship with my mom. My mom's awesome, but she's distant. So she deals with her own shit. But there was never that affection. You think it's an Asian parent thing? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my mom or dad, I never heard them say I love you. So I would probably say it's an Asian thing. But I think when it comes back to the dating thing, I think that's why I'm, I'm attracted to girls who are distant. I'm not happy about that. And it's not because I like it. It's because it's what's it's what's familiar. You know, but I think that's like the it's a crazy thing, but that we do that to ourselves. Um, you know, we find our ourselves attracted to people that you know. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm attracted to people that look like my parents at all. Yeah, it's I'm not, not the looks. I'm not, but you know, those characteristics that they, you know, they are familiar. Yeah, it's just because they feel familiar. It doesn't mean that it's right. Like I have to work for my mom's attention. That's yeah. a big thing. I would have to work for her attention. I just, and that spills over into my life when it comes to dating or anything like that. I hate it. Yeah. I fucking hate it. It's, it's, it just makes me feel like shit and I feel worthless. And it's just a cycle of just feeling worthless. But there's this also big part of me too is like, oh, this is just something I need to overcome. And like, and I fucking hate it. Yeah. I can see that. I can definitely see that too. Um, I always see like parallels in the people I'm dating and like characteristics they have with my father in a lot of ways. Are they just very blunt with you? <sighs> yeah, I'm I tend to like when people are in, are blunt with me and I like when people kind of I don't like when people let me walk all over them or you know, I like when people tell me what to do and kind of put me in my place. I know that sounds mm, weird, mm-hmm. but um I guess because like I I don't know if you like it, but it just feels familiar. Maybe that's it. I don't know. It's like my my parents tried to discipline me. It's not that I was like undisciplined as a child. Um, I'd be grounded for months at a time when I was, you know, a teenager. But, um, but you, it seemed like you're the type that if you were to try to get disciplined, get thrown in that dark room, you're like that smart, conniving girl that would bring it, put a flashlight in her pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and be exactly. In the dark. Like you would find ways. I am. I'm. I'm incredibly. I don't know what the word is for that. Sneaky. Sneaky. I'm. Yeah. I'm on my. I'm quick on my feet. Like yeah. I. I think about those those things and mm-hmm. um. 
You know, I was trying to find the loopholes and things. Yeah. But, you know, uh, what I was trying to basically say is that it's crazy that, you know, our family upbringings and things that, you know, impacted us in the beginning of our lives find a way of constantly being present into adulthood and... It stays with you for the rest of your life. It really does. That's that's a part of why I'm terrified. I don't know if I want kids, but that's I'm partially terrified of that. Oh, I was thinking about that um, actually this past week. Well, I'm obsessed with the idea of children, but then like a lot of the times, I'm I'm just completely in fear because I don't think I would. I really don't think I would be a good parent. I think you would be a good parent just because of how intuitive you are. Like you but- are just so aware. Like you mentioned as a kid, you were aware of like the way that people feel. It's just something that's an intuitiveness that you have. But I, I also see, um, you know, I am emotionally unstable most of the time. So I just don't think that would be like a healthy thing for a child to be around. Um, you know, my grandmother and I, my grandmother on my mother's side, the Irish one, is incredibly similar to me. Um, you know, she was depressed. Um, she had eating disorders. She was an alcoholic, and that's what ultimately what killed her. Um, she probably had a whole bunch of undiagnosed mental illnesses. You know, it was just taboo, especially when, you know, you're in your 70s and 80s. That was especially not talked about back in the day. But she and I were so similar, and we both have uncontrolled emotions, I would say. Like I told you, I'm, I'm completely aware, and I've always been just very emotional. And when I feel something, I feel it very strongly. Happiness, sadness, anger, it really is uncontrolled. And I think that's the scary part. And I don't know if I would want to bring a child into that. Are you afraid of of genetically passing something like that? Or are you afraid of like the environment you'd create for the Uh, child? Both. Both genetically, yes. Because my mother even has a lot of, I see these traces of my grandmother in the way that she behaves. And I see the traces in me also. We take out our anger on the closest person around us, Mm -hmm. usually, you know, the person that loves us the most, and Mm -hmm. it's just... They're the easiest, too. Yeah, yeah. So you've been diagnosed with uh, clinical depression? Yeah, yeah. So I I was diagnosed with clinical depression at 15 years old, which really is not super early as far as, you know, when people can get diagnosed, I guess, but... Excuse my ignorance, but how old can people usually get diagnosed with that? You know, I'm not too sure, but like, I, I know that I was feeling, you know, all the signs and symptoms, you know, from probably when I was like eight, when I started feeling fat. Um, I think that awareness and just like, I don't, I don't know, a lot of the people that are depressed, you know, are intellectually, like they have a higher intellectual ability i don't know there no they're... i would definitely agree with that i have quite a few depressed friends uh-huh. their awareness and just you know how deep intuitiveness their how deep their intuitiveness is too it's like definitely on another level yeah but in a good way yeah i mean i don't you know that's i guess why depression is kind of dangerous i think personally i don't know so yeah i was i was diagnosed with depression at 15 was it something that you were seeking out like help like mom dad i feel i need help or did well um yeah so i started self harming when i was in 5th grade so i was 9 10 okay so self harming in in what uh, way i was cutting myself yeah may i ask what like what triggered the first cut as dumb as that sounds but no no it's not dumb 
um, the first time I ever self-harmed, this was not a cut, but it was um, like a scratch, like a very deep scratch. And I, I'll show you. I know no, no, our listeners can't see right, mm-hmm. right here. There's a scar on my wrist that kind of looks like a Florida. Um, so you named that scar Florida? Yes. Yeah. And I did it um, when I was in third grade. <laughs> Go figure. That was the, a big year for my mental breaking <laughs> I guess, but I had a friend that was just, she was, this is so stupid, but she told me that I wasn't in love with Johnny Depp. <laughs> and I was, I was convinced I Who was. Who wasn't? What girl wasn't? I know, That's a right? question. That's a dumb statement. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I go into these things and like fixations and obsessions. And I, I think that's something that's like a common trend for people that have mental illness. We get pretty obsessed easily at least depending on the illness but um, I was obsessed and it wasn't the fact that she that I was yeah okay I wasn't in love with Johnny Depp I really wasn't but it was the fact that she was telling me and I didn't I don't like when people take away my control or like they invalidate my thoughts or opinions that was what drove me insane so I you know, we were on recess at the time, and I went into the corner of uh, the school grounds, and I just started scratching at my wrist, and I scratched for minutes, and until you know it started bleeding, and then I kept scratching until it was like a full-on open wound. Blood was dripping, and finally, like that, there was like this cloud of like um, anger. I don't know if it was anger, but it was like an uncontrollable. Like I was in a frenzy. And then that calmed it down. So I ever was your since, adrenaline running so yes. high that, that that you didn't feel any pain. Yes. Okay. Ever since that moment, I I would just revert to self harming to control things that were out of my control. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Because I've heard there's like there's obviously very so many different forms of self harming. Some people do it from what I read as a release. Some yes. people do it to um, feel alive. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like yours was just out of like when you're having some type of fresh break. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You were triggered on something. I was, yeah, I was definitely triggered. But uh, self-harming again, I've done it for multiple reasons. And like you said, the release mm-hmm. sometimes. Okay. But for me, it's usually about control. I get into these states of like, and it's hard for me to describe it, but when I get into a certain state of mind, I can't. I can't do anything. It's like everything is a cloud. And it's like even the way I see is blurry. Everything is blurry. And, you know, my head, it just feels like there's a cloud inside of it. And the only way to see through it is to snap myself out of that, I don't know, mentality or whatever. But I have to I have to get out of it. And the only way to push away the fog or the clouds is by self-harming and then I can finally see again. Everything becomes clear again. So after the adrenaline passes, do you still feel any pain after that? I, I usually don't feel pain, no. I mean, I I can feel again, which is always the point. So you said that was your first scar. So Yeah, my you, first scar. How many do you have? Do you um, know? Probably upwards of like uh, 40. 40? Yeah. Is it just all on your arm? Um, my my arm, my hips, my legs. There's some. Okay, those yeah. look like yeah. I have some on my legs, and I'll show you the ones on my hip, maybe. Oh, okay. Right there. Um, yeah, I don't know. So 
Self-harming at an early age became a, a form of just coping. And then it sounded like it was triggered by a friend. So it was, this wasn't anything relating to your family at all. No, no. And um, it could be anyone. I, it took it bothered me when anyone t- told me I was wrong or invalidated something that I believed in very strongly. Um, Did your parents or your brothers always invalidate you in any way? And they feel like you have to um, overcompensate for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents, nothing I ever did was good enough for them, like, <laughs> like you were mentioning yes. with your family. But, you know, my friends also growing up, I mean, I felt like always the odd duck out because I, I clearly had mental illness from a young age. And do you remember the age you were where you were thinking, okay, there's something that's not right? Yeah, yeah. When I was about 10, 11, I okay. guess, I started realizing that, you know, the way I cope and the way I think and the way that you know, I realized that I wasn't, and I hate to say this, but I felt like the rest of the world was clueless. And I felt like I had like this huge weight on my shoulders um, as far as things going on in the world and um, the seriousness of things going on in the world. Kind of general, like we, we really don't see like the shit that goes on in other parts of the world, even if we're watching CNN or fucking whatever news station all the time, like. Things can be pretty bad in America, but like things are really scary in the rest of the world too. And I think that in America we tend to be desensitized to all of it. But sure, yeah, I don't know. So when you got when you first got um, diagnosed, yes, was that um, was that you wanting to going back to my first question? Was yeah, that yeah. You too. Was that you wanting to seek help, or was it your family saying that you need to seek help? You know, my family knew I needed to seek help, but at that time I knew that I wanted and needed help. Like, I think that was the age because I really wanted to nip it in the bud. So you were already self-aware, but from what we were talking yeah. about, even at such a young age, you were really like... Yeah, yeah. Um, at 15, I realized, you know, I had already, you know, experimented with drugs. So At I had, 15? At 15, yeah. What kind of drugs? Um, I had already taken like ecstasy, Xanax. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Marijuana. Well, yeah, but I mean, wow, at 15? Yeah, 15, yeah. Man, that was such a late bloomer. But I mean, that's my... I, I, How old were you? Which drug? Uh, I guess all of, like, all of them. Okay, so I was straight edge in high school, so I was okay. late even alcohol. I think alcohol, the first sip I had was maybe when I was like 18. Wow, but that makes sense. Your father was an alcoholic, kind of. Yeah, but what's funny, going back to that, he was an alcoholic, but I've never seen my mom or my dad ever take a sip of alcohol. Take a sip of alcohol. Are you serious? Yeah. So um, I was never raised with alcohol in the house. Alcohol was never in the house. But you do that he... Uh, but like back then, it was viewed as alcohol is a very, very bad thing. Uh-huh. So my dad's thing was just out of sight, out of sight, out of mind in order for him to not get it back into it. Yeah. So I was lucky enough that I never saw the alcoholic side of him. Oh, wow. So that was before you were born. Yes. It must have been bad then. Yeah. I mean, it fuck, I mean it's what ultimately killed him. Yeah. Because of his liver. How'd you, did your friends all obviously got them all from friends, but having access to that at such a young age, like that's that kind of blows my mind. I might just be living under a rock, or is it because it's partially no, because I, of Bakersfield? I, start, I started hanging out with a bad crowd. Um, did you feel more of a connection to them because you feel like alienated from well, everyone yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. So, like, and like I mentioned earlier in high school, I didn't really have friends, mm. and in junior high, I didn't really have friends either. So, um, I 
I came across this crowd in the local music scene. And, you know, MySpace, social media was just becoming a thing. So I was able to meet people that didn't go to my high school that I related to. We liked the same music and the same books and the same things like that. And then, you know, MySpace just making friends. I made friends with people that had access, you know, friends that had crazy family lives um, as far as abuse and drug use and things like that went. At a young age, I was able to find people that could help me get drugs and experiment with them, so. Well, do you remember the first one you took? Well, obviously I started out with like marijuana. Yeah, simple. the gateway. Yeah, the gateway. Um, and then uh, I had a friend that was really into, well, no, the next drug I took was uh, ecstasy. and that I was, love ecstasy. Yeah, ecstasy's fun. But it fucks with my brain so much. It fucks with everyone's brain. So, you know, it creates this new high. Yeah. It's and not it's good. And n- never achievable again unless you're on the drug. So ecstasy. That, that is by that far was, my favorite drug. It's it's a great drug. And it was it's fun to do, um, you know, on a good occasion in the mm-hmm. right mindset. But I never would say I abused ecstasy as mm-hmm. far as like, you know, I never was addicted or anything like that. Pills were a little bit more dangerous and alcohol obviously um those are not good things um for people with mental illness so you said did you say xanax with that too yeah so xanax was part of the like the pills i was taking so it'd be like did you say coke with that too no not really coke until later in life but um you know i experimented with cocaine but it was mostly just like the pills i mean i'd be taking like anything like norco or vicodin or xanax especially i developed you just had the whole buffet when you were a kid yeah jesus fucking christ bakersfield is very easy to find drugs (laughs) jeez here i here i am in high school like hey i'm straight edge man Like, I don't do anything. Fuck. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the right decision when you're in high well, school. You're still figuring out life. Yeah, I would say, because I started experimenting with drugs on my later years, and I think it was probably wiser because I knew myself more. And oh, I yeah. knew, like, hey, what I, this is the effect it did on me, so, okay, I'm not going to do that much as, as often. Yeah. So when you got diagnosed that you were actually clinically depressed, what was the... F- did you have a sense of relief? Did you have a sense of like, fuck, now this is something that's going to be stuck with me for the rest of my life? Um, You know, with drugs, I or when I first got clinically depressed, I, I really didn't think of it as being a lifelong disease, which has been like the most um, kind of difficult part for me to struggle with even these days. I thought, you know, if I handled it at a young age, I could it could be managed well and that I wouldn't have to impact me for life. Did they put you on medication at a young age? Yeah, so I was put on um, Wellbutrin. I was, and I took it, you know, religiously as prescribed, you know, the first couple of years. And it, it helped. It really did. Um, it managed my symptoms, but the thing, and I'm sure like a lot of the listeners, if they have been on medication, will understand or uh, something will resonate with them. Medication fucking sucks. Antidepressants, they like the Wellbutrin made me feel like I was a robot. So I stopped having those sad, downer, all the time feelings, but I wasn't, I wasn't in the middle. I was just, I was existing, but I wasn't really living, if that makes sense. So you wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel sad, but would you would you feel any happiness or was it just like 
I picture someone, the way you described it on medication is like, here's a scope of sadness and happiness. Let's say like my arms are spread across this far. Mm-hmm. And then when you get on medication, it kind of just compresses it to just this, where you're just mm-hmm. in the middle the whole time. Yeah. Was that somewhere similar to like what that feeling would be? I would say, yeah. It was, um, you know, you can't, I never felt as happy as I did prior to the med- medication, but I wasn't as sad for sure. Mm. I was somewhere in the middle. But then, you know, it just, it took away my ability to feel like, I don't know, much of anything. I just felt really plain. I felt bored. When you got prescribed and started taking it, how did your mom and dad feel about that? You know, they're happy. I mean, both of them are huge advocates of me being on medication. And currently right now, are you on medication? I'm not. Oh, okay. I should be. I'm prescribed medication. I just don't take it. When you were a kid at that time, why and when when did you decide to stop taking it and why? I decided to stop making taking the medication after a year and like six months, so a year and a half. I was just done. I mean, I felt like it had nothing to offer me that I wanted from it. Did you express that um, feeling for anyone that you wanted to get off it um, or did you just get off it? I just did it myself. I just stopped taking it. You didn't tell anybody. It. Yeah. So um, I've never been on medication. So mm-hmm. when you, from your memory of that first time when you got off of it, what was that like? I don't know. It's um, my memories of it were like I felt like I was doing the right thing though. By getting off of it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like <sighs> medication is a really like hard subject for me to talk about because I'm not on medication. I've never committed to it long enough so the way antidepressants work have you you've never been medicated uh, no but when i was seen as a psychologist she was recommending i go see a psychiatrist this was the really bad time in my life uh, but I, I chose not to uh, uh, but for me it's for, because of um the creative and um, artistic aspect mm-hmm. because I, I felt like i wanted to feel those sad and just work through it yeah. Just the way I, I know how to work through and it. And create something. Yes. Honest. Yes. Thanks for listening to English Weather. Stay tuned for the next episode.